everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is Nicole Kyle. I'm on staff at High Point Church, and I'm also one of the hosts of this podcast. We are coming back to the Escaping Babel series. We had a bunch of episodes with Escaping Babel uh, last year, and then we've taken a break, but we're coming back, um, and we're going to do kind of a session, a handful of episodes uh, relating to friendship. We thought we really missed this in our last set of episodes, so we're coming back. In this first episode, you're going to get to hear from Nick, Jill, and myself as we just introduce this topic of friendship and what this has to do with escaping Babel. And so I I won't get more into that because you'll get to hear that, but I do also want to let you know that we are going to have a couple more episodes in this series. So we're going to have an episode specifically related to um, barriers to friendships, what makes it hard to build and form enriching relationships. Um, And then also out of this conversation that you're going to get to hear today, one of the questions that we came away with is, but what does this have to do for a church or for people who are pursuing doing multicultural relationships within the church. And so we're going to get to talk more about that as well. And then later in the series, we just want to hear from people who are actually friends with each other on what it has looked like for them to to form and build those friendships. So we're excited to be back to Escaping Babel. We hope that you enjoy this episode. We hope that you find it really helpful and clarifying as we start to talk about the topic of friendship. Hi, everyone. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Jill, and I'm here with Nicole. Hello. And Nick. Yeah. Reese yeah. Kyle Gibson. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like a band name. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, so we're talking today about friendship, and um, this is coming out of some conversations that we had, I think, like last year on the podcast um, that we called Escaping Babble. And in the, you can go back and listen to those. In those episodes, we talked mostly about romance. And so a lot of questions about friendship came out of that, as well as out of our sexuality conference that we had in February. And yeah, what boundaries, there's just a lot of questions about right. boundaries and Jill, can friendship. I yeah. Quick word on sub themes in yeah. the Engaged mm-hmm. and Equip podcast. So Escaping Babel is a series of podcasts on how modernity and secularity mm-hmm. misunderstand what it means to be human and how the gospel rehabilitates our understanding of what it means to be human so we can be humans well. Mm-hmm. And so it, Escaping Babel focus on these focuses on these misunderstandings and misrepresentations and mortifications of humanity in us mm-hmm. that Christ is remaking in true righteousness and holiness, as it says in Ephesians 4. We also have cutting room floor, which is stuff that didn't make it into other teachings at High Point. Mm-hmm. Um, ex- it expands on sermons and talks at places like Engage mm-hmm. and Equip. Uh, Engage and Equip Live are the talks at our leadership Mm -hmm. service and ministry building events that happen every month. Mm -hmm. And then sexuality everywhere is talks from the conference or talks Mm -hmm. out of that conference, which focus on rehabilitating biblical sexuality, which you could argue is a subset of escaping babble, but it's Mm -hmm. a big enough deal because it is the primary political issue as well as a very profound personal issue 
that it kind of has its own series. Are there any more? Clarity those, check. Like, oh yeah, clarity uh, check. And clarity mm-hmm. check. Yeah. Sometimes we'll talk before sermons about the particular scriptures, what mm-hmm. they mean, and like trying to get something really clear before mm-hmm. I end up preaching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and as far as escaping Babel goes, um, like I mentioned, we talked a lot about romance, and so, um, and then with the sexuality conference, there's questions that those deal a lot with building families. We did a lot last time in escaping Babel. And so the question is, what, what about people who are single? What about how do I have close loving relationships outside of those things that God has set up for us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think there's one more. We just started a new series that we'll probably call something like counseling and correspondence, Mm. which is, um, Jill, Nicole and Aaron being in counseling sessions with me and then us talking through that problem and how Mm -hmm. you counsel it Mm -hmm. pastorally speaking. And then also correspondence we receive of like specific questions Mm -hmm. people ask so we can just answer those questions like we would counseling and giving spiritual advice. So I think those are really cool sub series, Mm -hmm. but we don't have enough episodes for them all to be their own podcasts. Mm -hmm. And so they're, different mm-hmm. episode strains within engaged and equipped. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let's thanks get for clarifying. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. So Nick, could you talk about what we mean by escaping Babel just for those who haven't listened to all those yet? Yeah. Just what I said before okay. about how like modern secularity disjoins us from a deep, meaningful sense of our humanity. Mm-hmm. And so we don't just not know Jesus mm-hmm. in modern life. The, pro- the primary problem of people coming to Jesus isn't that they don't know about Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's they don't understand what it means to be human anymore. Mm-hmm. We have so contorted the idea of what it means to be a human, what our sexuality is, how we bond with people, how we're both physical and spiritual creatures, how our mind and character develops, what moral categories mean. Like everything related to being mm-hmm. a human being is confused. Mm-hmm. And so Escaping Babel is designed based on that narrative in Genesis Mm -hmm. where people leave the command God gave them to spread out into the whole earth and to cultivate it. Instead, they gather together and they build up a a temple for their own name to heaven Mm -hmm. to be superior to God. And God intentionally frustrates that. And I think what secular people are realizing is though we have all this science and technology and learning, much of which is much of which is good and true because it's not situated within God's truth and not responsive to obeying his will. God causes it both by nature and by providence to become futile. Mm -hmm. And that misery is supposed to draw us back to God and back to the truth and back to our nature. It's an act of love. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about escaping Babel, we're saying, how do we do that? How do we escape mm-hmm. that babble, that trying to be better than that God, that trying to define ourselves from ourselves, that misunderstanding of humanity and come back to the kind of beings that we are rightly rehabilitated and saved and redeemed in Christ. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah, make sense? That's really good. Um, and then how does friendship that we're talking about today have to, what does that have to do with escaping babble? As our culture becomes more political and more economic consumeristic in that sense mm-hmm. um we begin to treat people naturally more instrumentally rather than organically and personally mm-hmm. and so people more and more become what they can do for us or simply the role they play in our lives 
and the affection and love and interaction and joy that can be taken in deep community where you love people for their sake Mm -hmm. and for the moral and spiritual purposes of their being and you bond on that level Mm -hmm. um, is being lost. Mm -hmm. Um, We know this statistically that people have fewer friends, fewer confidants than they had like in the 1970s. We know that it's had a profound effect on human health. Um, apparently loneliness is as bad for you as about a pack of cigarettes a day. Mm. Men who, um, men tend to stop making friends when they marry, statistically speaking, apparently. And so they're much more likely to have dislocations in those friendships and not have any friends. And so, um, men without friends are much more likely to die before the age of 45, mm-hmm. maybe because they don't have a baby to be like, don't mm-hmm. try that. No, I'm not going to watch you do that right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But also they just don't make new friends mm-hmm. as well once they get married and have children. And that's real, just really bad for them. And so it's not just, so it is a public health crisis. It is a psychological societal mm-hmm. crisis. It is a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it comes from a spiritual failure where we refuse to understand who we are mm-hmm. and how integral friendship is to our being because we misunderstand how integral belonging is to our mm-hmm. being and on what basis we belong to each other. And friendship is one of those fundamental belongings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think too, as you were talking about the, the aspect of it, that's a spiritual problem. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what I've observed witnessed even myself is that younger and younger people are getting worse and worse at having relationships with people who are different from themselves yes and knowing how to handle conflict in a friendship or how to have different opinions but still really care for and respect a person Mm -hmm. and i think some of that is rooted in or i think that's a problem of the culture we live in and we don't know how to do that and i think that Mm -hmm. the gospel has a really clear response to that but we've well, yep. None of the normal metaphors we live by right now will help. They all hurt. <laughs> so whether they're the three political metaphors of progressivism, conservatism, or, and by conservatism in this context, I mean economic conservatism mm-hmm. and libertarianism. Libertarianism says, I don't have to interact with anybody. Mm-hmm. I can be my own person. My individuality is supreme, mm-hmm. which if misunderstood and not informed by our humanity Mm-hmm. can lead to isolation. Conservatism in its economic sense encourages free markets. Mm-hmm. But the way free markets go wrong if they're not connected through relationships and morality is that people are only what they can economically do for us. Mm-hmm. Progressivism, which is connected deeply to the new Marxist tradition, sees making the good society as an end that justifies the means. Mm -hmm. So every person is a means to the political ends we want and Mm -hmm. are there either therefore rightly and orthodox part of our religion Mm -hmm. that's doing that, or they are an other and an enemy that we must hate and must eliminate Mm -hmm. in our moving towards our goal and technology, though it can easily be used for community can also easily be used to sort ourselves to be like people just like us Mm -hmm. and lead to increased and further Mm -hmm. alienation. And so people, one of the things I think people don't realize is we have to be strong enough to bear the things we use. Right. Mm -hmm. And what people want to believe is the things we use are strong enough that we don't really have to be anything. Mm -hmm. We could be like lazy nothings and 
technology will save us from our health problems and find mm-hmm. us. For, like we think, we think these movements and these technologies will save us. No, mm-hmm. these technologies and movements will destroy us unless we are virtuous, spiritual, and mm-hmm. human enough to utilize these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like food. Yeah. Food will kill you yeah. if you're not strong enough to eat what's good and reject what's bad. Yeah. And I think that gets back to what we were talking about with Escaping Babel and the creation mandate and the commands God has given us to spread out and multiply but also to be like him <laughs> and that requires friendship. We need, we need friends. Um, C.S. Lewis calls it called friendship, the school of virtue to yeah. help us become people of substance. We don't understand that we need communities to form us, not just mm-hmm. to like um, relax and have leisure. We need communities to form us. Yeah. And in the flesh, mm-hmm. we don't want them. Right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's why social media is nice. We can, we can right. engage as much as we want. That's why it's nice it feels nice. It's right. not and actually I, good, but we should in get that into way. Lewis's view of friendship and how social media and those interact. Mm. Because I think it's, I think Lewis was somewhat sympathetic to that in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I think we should maybe even vocalize right now is it's not even that we don't want friendship. Right. We don't want marriage and we don't want children. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, one of the things we're seeing in Western, not even Western society, but industrialized societies is the minute we get enough money to only deal with ourselves, mm-hmm. we not only have fewer friendships, we have fewer marriages, more divorces breaking up what marriages exist, mm-hmm. and birth rates plummet. So in America, right, which had the highest birth rate, probably still does in the industrialized world, it's now fallen to 1.7, which is extinction, right? That's mm-hmm. that's like 150 years from being extinct, mm-hmm. right? And we used to be at 2.3, but a lot of that was, immigrate, was immigrants mm-hmm. or unplanned children. There are some places in the world now, in industrialized mm-hmm. societies, where women, the, birth, the fertility rate for women is less than one. Mm-hmm. The, if you have two women, if you have three women, one of them has no children mm-hmm. and two of them have one. That's that's what we do as human beings. So our loves, mm-hmm. we are so bad at loving that mm-hmm. you can track this statistically that when you give people wealth and education, they don't want to love anymore. Mm. And it, what it shows us is the only reason we valued community before our money was because of its social capital. It was a form of wealth that got us something. Yeah. And now that we don't need that wealth, mm-hmm. we let it go. It just shows how much accountability we've always needed mm-hmm. yeah. and how wicked we are once you take that accountability away. Yeah. And as Christians, we can say, okay, fine, but we should still do what's mm-hmm. good and right. Like, I just shouldn't need any accountability. I should be able to choose to marry and love someone mm-hmm. and give my love to that one person because it's good. I should choose to receive new life because it's good and God wants godly offspring. And I should choose to love other people for their own sake and friendship mm-hmm. because it's good. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah. Make sense? yeah. So one thing I was hearing you saying, Nick, was that we don't anymore understand like marriage or parenting or friendship and what God has meant by those things. And so let's, talk about yeah there's why. Le- there's yeah. very little good that we will do if we do not do it on purpose yeah 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredible because so many people want to just float through their lives mm-hmm. and hope good things happen. That is not the way life works. The goods in your life happen because somebody caused them to happen intentionally. Mm-hmm. And if you're an adult, that person is now you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's basically define friendship and talk about what it actually looks like. And by this, we're talking about um not just I have 970 friends on Facebook. We're talking about followers. Even. Followers. <laughs> I followers. guess technically yeah. on Facebook they are friends, but on every other social media yeah. account, they're just followers. Which is yeah. a better name Which for basically it. means <laughs> if I want to look up your information at some point, I want access to it. Yeah. Right. So it's like a phone book. Yeah. It's like phone book level. Yeah. <laughs> the main, my main use of Facebook is when I hear a name and I can't remember who that is. Hmm. I type their name into Facebook and, so I, and I go, oh, that's who that mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is very nice. <laughs> yeah. But if I, if I go through a stream, I just get angry. Mm. Okay. You know? Well, um, what, so let's talk about what the key ingredients for close friendships are with real people that we know. In our okay. Lives. Okay. Um, so what do you guys think? What are some that come to your mind? I think um, one of the things that I have experienced in my life regarding this has been proximity to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that social media and technology, this is one area where that's been really difficult because mm. Scott and I, Scott's my husband, we've moved around a bit. Even growing up, my family moved around a bit and I can see the difference from when I was a child moving versus now as an adult moving because technology has changed. It's mm. so, like I don't keep up with those friends of mine from when I was you know, eight and I moved from Texas to Wisconsin, I have no idea what's going on in their lives. I don't even know if I could remember their names, which I think is okay because our lives have changed. Our proximities have changed. Um, I think that now since like high school and college and moving away from those people, for some of those friends, it has given me a way to stay close and connected to them, which I am grateful for. But it also has left me feeling a sense of responsibility mm. to some of the people that we weren't really close before. We don't live close to each other now, but I feel responsible to have a really deep relationship with them. And I think that that's made it hard for people to understand that proximity is a really big deal when it comes to relationships. Mm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It de- Now, it, it doesn't mean that I'm like... If I don't live five minutes from you, I'm not going to care about you at all. That's not what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. but that it does change the nature of your relationships Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're, if you're, you, in order to do life with someone and, um, going back to what C.S. Lewis called the school of virtue, I really like that. Um, if, if you need someone to be able to call you out and hold you accountable and also encourage you in what they see in your life, they need to see your life pretty frequently. Right. And, mm-hmm. and see you pretty frequently and know what's going on in the ins and outs. And so I think it get, gets back to that just practical aspect, mm-hmm. but also um, what really constitutes a close actual relationship. Yeah. yeah. Let me give you an example as a pastor. Sometimes people will come to me and say, hey, do you know what's going on with so-and-so? Like, this is an issue. Somebody should do something about this. And my one of my responses is, yeah, I can, but I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I'm not in that person's life. Mm-hmm. I would have to in, go intrusively into it. Doesn't this person have any friends? 
And what I mean by friends in that context is somebody who knows them intimately enough that if they broached this issue, they would know enough to do it. Right. They would, mm-hmm. the person wouldn't be like, you don't know me. You don't know why I'm doing this. You don't right. know what's mm-hmm. going on. They'd be like, yes, I do. I'm your friend. Mm-hmm. And so we use the part of the issue with friendship is it's one of those words that we use to denote a number of categories mm-hmm. like love. Yeah. And so it's a word that carries a lot of weight for us, but it's a word that can be poorly descriptive. Mm-hmm. And so the kinds of friendships that Lewis is talking mm-hmm. about, friendships that are, well, in the book of Proverbs, it says a friend that's closer than a brother, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who knows you very intimately and can confront you and mm-hmm. can encourage you in ways that matter to you and mm-hmm. can tell you you're not crazy in a certain mm-hmm. situation um, that know you well enough to do that. They ha- You have to know you well enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And that requires a close proximity mm-hmm. that is sustained. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the th- implications of that is that when you have like, I think that's an argument to not get into those dumb Facebook fights with people, because mm-hmm. if you don't yeah. know them well enough to actually be able to have this conversation with them over the phone, you probably don't get to speak into that area of their life anymore. And, and if they're, mm-hmm. if they're, I don't know. I just have seen a lot of that on Facebook where people who barely know each other are getting into this argument. And there's there's not going to be understanding there the same yeah. way as if they actually were close friends who could have this conversation over the phone or in person or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not really even about then the good of the other person. It's more about being right, being right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which gets into like self-sacrificial love and what love actually is too. Yeah. I th- the, one of the next things that you have in the notes mm-hmm. and I think comes up a good bit, especially in Lewis's book, mm-hmm. on the four loves where he talks about friendship is shared interest, mm-hmm. which is and he calls it shared truth and shared truth. Think, right. Like yeah. You see what I term. see. Mm-hmm. Right. This gets into a lot of stuff like, well then is our social medias, which help you sort towards shared interests. Good. Hmm. right or there are like um meetup apps that you can connect with and you can Mm -hmm. go and meet up to hike somewhere with other people who like hiking and uh, so i think those are actually situations in which certain kinds of social medias and technology can be used very positively Mm -hmm. yeah right i would even include certain dating apps in that that like if it's a way to exchange shared truths, shared beliefs, shared interests to help people actually come together in romantic friendship based on those kinds of substantive things that would make people want to walk together. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good use of technology. Um, but this is one of the areas where Lewis says something about friendship that a lot of Christians wouldn't say, which is you could be friends with whoever you want. You're not obligated to be friends with anyone. Mm-hmm. Friendship is a, one of those loves that you can freely and completely choose however you want to. And it's done on the basis of a shared love or a shared seen truth. And sometimes it sneaks up on you almost like a romance. Oh, I didn't know we agreed. In, mm-hmm. and it, But it also assumes a limitation of diversity. I mean, this is one of the issues with friendships in churches and seeking diversity in churches. Right. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes that seeing the similar truth is going to be people who are like you in certain ways. And it may actually lead to some kinds of homogenization Mm -hmm. because people are friends with who they want to be friends with. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the truths that we see are baked into our cultural identity. Mm -hmm. And so 
one of my concerns reading Lewis is I think he's right in a certain sense, because like if, if uh, Nicole and I like a certain kind of like philosophy, right. I can be like, Oh, you like that philosophy. You know, you like, right. And we can, but see that shared interest allows us to go further and deeper into that interest. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's a certain amount of homogeneity that's necessary to go deeper into something, mm-hmm. which there's a diversity fallacy that like diversity always makes us stronger. Well, yes and no. Like sometimes it makes you stronger because you have more assets or you have more perspectives. So in certain contexts, it makes you stronger, but in other ways it doesn't. In other ways you can never get fast for first face. You can never talk about what you want to talk about. You can never go any Mm -hmm. farther with everything, with anything. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Lewis's idea of friendship in this sense of connecting with people who you should have this shared mm-hmm. sight with. So I think the language he uses, I want it a hundred percent agree with it. That's what I want in a friendship. Yeah. yeah. I want to spend time with somebody who sees what I see and enjoys what I enjoy. And I don't want to have to be friends with anyone. Mm. Yeah. And yet in a lonely society and in a friendship starved society in the church, there are lots of people that want me to be a friend to them, not just friendly, but a friend Mm -hmm. and maybe not a super deep, intimate friend, but like a meaningful friend that they can tell their problems to and stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things Lewis says in the four loves, which I think is, is very different than how we think is he's like, that's not what friendship's for. Friendship is not for helping each other when things go wrong or telling your problems to. That has nothing to do with friendship. Yes, if problems come, a friend naturally helps you. But as soon as they help you with a problem and you say, thank you so much, and they say, forget about it, they literally mean forget about it. Mm -hmm. They mean, that's not what our friendship is about. Mm -hmm. Yes, now you're close to me, and now we can focus more again on what we like doing together. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I have many friendships that are not that mm-hmm. M- most of my friendships that I would say, Oh, this person is my friend. I generally feel as though I am an instrument for them. Mm. And I don't necessarily feel used. I am voluntarily functioning that way in their life. And I feel like there is a divine purpose in it. Yeah. But I think if I was co- taking, having a conversation with Lewis in a pub, he'd be like, no, that's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. It's not friendship. That's not what that is. Right. Yeah. That is a hard tension because I think that good friendship, because it's based on actual love by what Jesus meant, which is self-sacrificial, it requires self-sacrifice. And it requires, in my experience, it requires me always thinking I'm going to be the good friend. Like, I mean, the other person I trust also because we have a shared interest or a shared truth will also do the same for me. Um, but I think it always, for me, I've had to not wait around, like, when is this person going to remember me? Or like, when is this person going to, but to also always say, I'm going to, how can I love this person right now who I do love because we have a shared truth. So there's, this, mm-hmm. there is a tension of like, it's not just, oh, it'll just happen. Mm-hmm. Like it does happen. Like you said, it surprises you, but then it also requires actual work. Yeah. I think that. Like the thing I'm thinking in this hearing you guys talk is about how so much of uh, what we experience in culture, and I guess I'm speaking particularly, especially to the Mm -hmm. millennial and Gen Z Mm -hmm. generations, but it's about 
everything being idyllic. Yeah. Like you post the highlight reel of your life on social Mm -hmm. media. You don't post every bit of it. And so you want to have the really great dream job and you want to have the apartment with a really nice view and you want to have the child that has the cutest outfits and you like, you can keep going and going Mm -hmm. on how you expect this really shiny version of a life. And I think that we see that in friendships too, Mm -hmm. that we, we expect it to be, I want to have the like friendship that I watch about that I see happening in movies or that mm-hmm. like comes really naturally and really easily that the reality is that just like every other square that you look at, there's a whole different story behind it. And I think that that's true with friendships mm-hmm. that you can have friendships that are really deep and meaningful like that, but they come with work. And, and I think Jill, you've shared a little bit about this in your life, but that Mm -hmm. sometimes it's looking around and seeing who has God placed in my life Mm -hmm. already. And how can I be a friend to them rather than looking for the next best thing in relationship to friendship as well. And in it, it might grow into a really deep, meaningful friendship, even if it starts more on the basis of, I feel that this person is in my life and I'm going to try and care for them in a sacrificial way and hope that it grows into this thing and that does get back to what lewis is talking about with the shared truth because in that i think you for for it to become a close friendship you are looking for a shared truth like is this person yeah in a in a way one in the christian church when we talk about friendship as an outworking of caritas of uh, agape of of Mm -hmm. like the charitable self-sacrificial self-giving love Mm -hmm. i wish we could talk to lewis about this because i wonder if he would say when you talk that way what you're really talking about is affection Mm. you're talking about it's more like what a mother has for their child it's you see that that person has need love and you have gift love in Mm -hmm. you for them and so in grace you give that gift love to their need love so that they can receive and Mm -hmm. be supplied and have what they require and that it actually there is an affection between you and that's Mm -hmm. a love but i think lewis would be like but it's not friendship friendship. (laughs) yeah that's not what that is and i think Mm -hmm. that that helps me Mm -hmm. it does but i feel like i could when i think that way i go okay i have a lot of relationships Mm. of mutual affection Mm -hmm. i have very few friends Mm -hmm. very few Mm -hmm. friends friends that I just like being with because we share a truth or we share a love, mm-hmm. you know, then it, then it's down real quick to like Seth, my fishing buddy, Adam, my theology buddy. Like yeah. I've got like two or three, mm-hmm. you know, and then honestly, a lot of people on staff because mm-hmm. we all have the shared love of mm-hmm. Jesus and of doing ministry for people mm-hmm. with firm with people. So like you guys are my friends because my work is my philosophy. It is my truth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I'm naturally friends with you all. Mm-hmm. So but, when you when we talk about how people today don't have friends, are you talking about Lewis's definition of friendship or are you talking about even the affection and that kind of love? I think that's a great question because one of the books we read for this, mm-hmm. Jill and I, was... Um, Spiritual Friendships by Wesley. Yeah, yeah. Wesley Hill. Hill, right? Yep. Yeah. So Wesley Hill's the same sex attracted man, right? And he has written on friendship. Mm-hmm. And 
one of his arguments is especially in relationship to the same sex attracted slash gay identifying gay community. Mm -hmm. That is, these are celibate people, right? Mm -hmm. He's like one of our longings and shared truths is our longing for deeply intimate covenantal Mm -hmm. friendships, Mm -hmm. which include a huge component of covenantal affection that is in some ways a major basis of the friendship. And I don't think that's how Lewis thought about it. Mm. And I don't, I just don't feel compelled to say Wesley's West Hill's wrong and Lewis is right. Though I almost always think Lewis is right. Honestly. <laughs> but I, I think like on one level, friendship that begins in a shared truth should develop mutual affection. But mm-hmm. in Lewis's chapter in The Four Loves, he continually distinguishes the two. He does, yeah. And he says, this is the friendship part of your relationship, mm-hmm. and it's a love. And this is the affection mm-hmm. attendant upon it and developing in it, which mm-hmm. is a love. Mm-hmm. And they are different. And he's like, think about this. A friend, two friends who grow close, they're both single and of the opposite sex, and they fall in love. Now you've got the friendship love, the affection love, and the eros love, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you just say you love the person. And like, I've experienced that in my marriage for sure. Mm-hmm. Like Alexi's my best friend. And when we get to interact on stuff we both see, we're being friends. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm just trying to love her mm-hmm. and respond to her right. need love mm-hmm. with whatever gift love I have. And it's affection. And I we function in that more than in friendship, mm-hmm. especially with four children in the house. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'm just madly in love with her, right? And I'm mm-hmm. sure her with me, right? <laughs> but like, as I think about that, one of the things I think about is, okay, that's interesting because when I conceptualize it that way distinctly, mm-hmm. Lewis's conceptualization helps me because I think mm-hmm. I need to go home and get my wife around something related to mm. a truth we both see. Mm. Yeah. I need to make sure that we're functioning in friendship love Mm-hmm. more because mm-hmm. that's really what brought us together mm-hmm. in, instead of just affection love and eros love which are important parts of our relationship and so but i don't think that makes wesley hill wrong i think at some level you could say i see this truth with person a but i might be able to see this truth better with person b mm-hmm. and if you think that way non-covenantally like i'll just i'll be your friend until i find a better one I think that does something to friendship. I don't know that Lewis would say, well, it just is a friendship in which affection doesn't really build. But mm-hmm. I think he'd say there's something sick about that too. Yeah. I think that he believed there ought to be a stability in friendship. Mm-hmm. I think that, so this morning, uh, just because it popped up on my podcast feed, I was listening to a podcast by Jackie Hill Perry and her husband. They have a podcast called 30 Minutes with the Perrys. And it was on toxic friendships. Mm-hmm. But basically how that word is overused to also mean, yeah. yeah, to also yeah. mean like, I don't want to have to do hard things for other people. Yeah. <laughs> so right. I just call yeah. them toxic. So I'm just yeah. going to call it toxic. Yeah. And that so person has a bi- had a baby <laughs> and is suffering and from yeah. postpartum toxic. depression yeah. yes. and they need me. It's so toxic. And I like have been there and needed friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my friend lost their job inexplicably that she's had for 15 years and now she's so needy and toxic she call, she just needs so much encouragement she was yeah. crying the other day like 
to me yeah yeah so i think what you're saying is true especially i think nicole you mentioned this for millennials and below i think there is this sense of like not wanting a commitment which that's hard because their friendship is built off this shared interest but also the level to which we have dropped in our (laughs) commitment ability is very low and so i think yeah, there's just tension yeah. there. There's tension well, part, there. Part of it too is Gen Xers and younger are all kind of averse to formality. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they, they just don't understand, what we don't understand, we're all in Gen X or millennials, mm-hmm. right? One of the things that our generations don't like very much is the idea that you would join something and be a member and then those people could talk back at you right. and be like, you can't do that. So church membership, especially in a church that does church discipline, it's just like, well, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. And so the more we talk about marriage as a formalized relationship or parenting as a formalized Mm -hmm. relationship or then friendship as a formalized Mm -hmm. relationship, the more naturally averse they tend to be to it. They're like, well, wait, I don't mean that. I don't Mm -hmm. want want that Mm -hmm. because that locks me in and commits me in. And one of the things younger generations have lost in the disestablishment of ordered relationships. And I'm not saying there wasn't a good reason for that. Mm -hmm. Some Mm -hmm. of our ordered relationships were done in stifling, sexist, Mm -hmm. racist kind of way. So there there was, there's some good reasons for disestablishing things. But what happened was instead of disestablishing what was toxic about those relationships, Mm -hmm. the institutions themselves were disestablished. And that was actually very inhuman. Mm-hmm. And so younger generations, actually, one of the things they need to do is to reformalize, at least in their minds, morally, yes, most of the relationships of their lives, or they will never be fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Well, that, right. I think that's the, the, the thing that I have realized is that the friendships that I have that do have that formality to them, whether mm-hmm. it's been spoken or not, those are the friendships that I actually feel the most secure in. Yes. Where I know I could say something to Jill that she might not agree with, but she's not going to stop having a relationship with me on the basis of that disagreement. Right. Yeah. Younger people mm-hmm. don't understand that much of their insecurity is wrapped up in their artificial freedoms. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. What? But when you actually have a, when I know that, and Jill can bring something to me where she can tell me I'm doing this thing that's wrong, which she has done before, that doesn't feel like a freedom. And mm-hmm. yet I feel more mm-hmm. free in that mm-hmm. friendship than I do in the more superficial relationships that I have with people that don't have that formality to them. And that's one of our shared truths. That's, yeah. that's a shared truth is that I need someone because I sin. I need someone who can see my life and tell me I'm sinning <laughs> or, and it yeah. doesn't feel great, but that's something that we, we both want to grow in Christ and we know that's part of it. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of Wesley Hill's insights, right? Mm-hmm. Is he saying as Christians engaging in, in Christian friendship, one of the shared truths is going to have to be a doctrine of friendship right yeah right it's kind of like a shared idea of that yeah like when I do weddings I say look there's only four things you can do whatever you want in your wedding there's only four things you have to do right and I make them do reciprocal and unconditional vows the prayer of blessing Christian language throughout but the first thing I say we're doing this is the statement of marriage Mm -hmm. you you just don't have a wedding without defining what we're doing 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think friendship is like that. I think there could be a statement of friendship. That's it's like, like a this. DTR. Yeah. And I think that's what Whistley Hill was trying yeah. to do in his book mm-hmm. is to say, right. I say that I have not read his book. <laughs> okay. So like, just, just be honest here. <laughs> I've read friends of mine who are gay identify as stably same sex attracted. That's what I yeah. mean by gay, but who are sexually celibate who've read it. Tell me what it says. Yes. I read it. And that is also yeah. what it and says. What he's saying is like, we need to have a definition of friendship mm-hmm. and that definition of friendship should look more like a covenant than a convenience. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. should get that straight. And that should be a shared truth for Christians. And if we had mm-hmm. that shared truth for Christians, we would have deeper, more meaningful friendships. And we would have a community in which celibate, gay Christians could find themselves well loved in intimate relationships and have fulfilling communal lives, Mm -hmm. which is part of what he was asking for in that book, Mm -hmm. I think. Well, and I think this is, you're bringing this up. We use the language here at High Point often, we'll say spiritual friendships. And I think that's a, um, I'm curious. I Now I have not read what Lewis has written Mm -hmm. about friendships, but I'm curious what he would, how he would, think about that if it's different than friendship or if it's more of a commitment than he's imagining. But I think that when we talk about a spiritual friendship, there is Mm -hmm. a different level of what, what we expect Mm -hmm. from that type of a friendship. Yeah. I mean, I think Lewis would, I think, because I think Lewis's definition of friendship assumes that you can be a friend with a Mm non-Christian. I mean, he, he, he he thinks a Christian and non-Christian can both see the same truth and have the same loves and Mm -hmm. therefore walk together in a particular direction. At some point, there's probably gonna be some disjointedness because of the worldview differences, mm-hmm. but there's no exclusively, exclusively Christian thing about Lewis's definition. Mm-hmm. I don't think at least in that sense, mm-hmm. but I think he would say something like one of the things Christians have in their lives is the pursuit of God mm-hmm. and seeing the truth of Christ and pursuing Christ is a path we walk down. Mm-hmm. And therefore, finding someone who sees that truth and loves that love with us is fundamental to that pursuit. Mm-hmm. And so, spiritual friendships are possible and they're necessary. So, anybody who's been to explore at High Point has heard me say this, but we say spiritual friendship as opposed to Christian friendship mm-hmm. because Christian friendship is ambiguous in that it can mean a friendship with a Christian, yep. yeah. which may or may not focus on the Christ at all. Right. And so Mm -hmm. what we mean by a spiritual friendship, which obviously spiritual friendship can be ambiguous too. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we mean by spiritual or gospel-centered friendship is a friendship in which anything can come up for conversation Mm -hmm. or pursuit. You can talk about basketball. You can talk about Jesus. Both are just as obvious and even. Now, that's not not what Lewis means Mm -hmm. because he's talking about the trajectory of walking with somebody towards something. When I say to High Point Church, I just mean somebody you can talk about with Jesus naturally with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the first step towards what Lewis would define as friendship. And here, I think, like, biblically, there's also this call. So this gets back to the affection thing, maybe, that Lewis is talking about. But if you are friends with someone who also um, knows Christ, then there's you're in the church together. So, like, there's this added element of you are a brother or you're a brother and brother or sister and sister, or brother and sister, or whatever. And so there's this added element of, like, we're no longer just friends with a shared truth and a shared interest, but we also have these obligations to one another. Like, Nicole, because she's my sister, in Christ needs to tell me, 
that I'm doing something that isn't Christ-like. <laughs> and so it does add this deeper element because of how we're called to be um, Christ followers to one another. Yeah, I think that, that the language we've been using fits very well with the Bible because the Bible mm-hmm. doesn't primarily use the metaphor of friendship. It primarily uses the metaphor of family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the love that exists yeah. between family members is pr- primarily affection. Right. And, com- and commitment and duty. Mm-hmm. And so in the church, you can be like, well, I'm not friends with a lot of people in my church. That's fine. Mm. It's fine. Because the love you're commanded mm-hmm. to is the love of affection. Yeah. The familial love, what you must do for mm-hmm. a brother and a sister. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, I think you can feel that same affection for mm-hmm. a friend like we've said before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that biblical language helps us say, it doesn't matter if you're not friends with that person. Mm-hmm. There's this level of which there's some definition of friendship in which you're just not going to have a lot of mm-hmm. friends, period. Mm-hmm. But you can have affection for all of your brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this gets a little bit into the topic of gender. And in the last Escaping Babel set that we did on the podcast, specifically episode 78, we talked about girl-guy friendships. And so um, what is that? How does that get into close friendships? And just briefly defining it, because you can go back and listen to that um, episode. But what do you guys think about that? Uh, I can share just a little bit. I mean, this is all going to be a repeat of mm-hmm. before, but I think because, so we're talking about these levels of affection. I, j- I think that it's important to recognize that the more time you spent growing in affection for people in unhealthy environments or contexts, um, there just are, you need to understand a reality that the affections will probably grow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so your context, the context of that person, the environment where you have that relationship, all is at play. And so I have, well, now I don't know if I should call it a friend, but I have (laughs) friendships Mm. with guys that are like, they're fun. They're like, we have shared interests. Mm -hmm. I really like basketball. There aren't a lot of girls who like basketball. So I have guy friends who I like to talk about the NBA with. Um, but there is a there is a an a point for me being a married woman where those relationships are gonna just not go past whether it's the setting like the literal physical setting of where we're talking or if it's you know how well that person also is a friend to my husband or if it's um, whether it's talking in person or texting so there's just those mm-hmm. are the types of things that for me as a married woman I consider because I just know the way that we are wired as affections grow, there is a high risk for, we, we mm-hmm. called it entanglement before. I think mm-hmm. that's a helpful word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think too, yeah. it, um, there's a sense of the positive aspect. I think the last episode we talked a lot about like, you sh- like, don't do this. This can lead down that path that you were talking about, Nicole. Um, but I think there's also the sense that we sort of want as women, maybe as women, we want an Eros love. <laughs> it, it seems easier and we just don't really have a good definition of love. And it is sometimes easier to be friends with guys because it feels there's this natural connection. And so, but rethinking about what friendship is, is and um, how deep it can go in certain levels and fighting for same gender friendships that can like you can call each other out on sin and you can 
become more like Christ with them in a, in a certain way that isn't going to lead into that yeah. Eros well, love. And I think that we'll probably talk more about the value mm-hmm. of those same gender friendships, but I also do think that there's value in the opposite gender friendships. Yeah. But I think that for me, so I have a brother, like mm-hmm. in my literal family, I have mm-hmm. two sisters and a brother and there are relationships with guys that I have like here at high point, like Brandon Brooks is a really good example mm-hmm. of this. John Sikotowski, like I see them and I care about them yeah. in a very similar way to how I care about my brother. And I want good for them and I want to know the things that are happening in their mm-hmm. lives. But that framing is a like there's there's value in that and there's like I think even we talk about social capital and social wealth like I think there's some social capital to those relationships too like hopefully Mm -hmm. having a friendship with other girls has been helpful for like for Brandon I know that helped him marry his wife Lydia right yeah (laughs) so like things like there are really helpful things and fun and enjoyable things about those relationships um, so not to say that they're never appropriate. Right, right. Yeah, okay, so let's drop a couple things on this. Okay. One is, um, I think it's appropriate for a Christian to have same s- opposite-sex friendships mm-hmm. when they're single, mm-hmm. right? And that's actually a preferable way or a very good yeah. way to determine somebody you might have other affections for or other loves for. The problem is is that if you're friends with five girls, you know, yeah. guy, <laughs> Um, and their vibrant friendships, mm-hmm. you may be oblivious to the fact that three of them are in love with you because mm-hmm. they'll try not to show it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, Nicole is telling a story before we got going about just a girl who was like, when they heard that she heard this advice, she's like, oh, that's stupid. Had friends with this guy, fell in love with him. It turned out very badly. And so there's that. Okay. So secondly, just as Nicole is saying, I have friendships with men in which I have this affection for them. Mm -hmm. That's a good way of laying this out. As there is one love, other loves can easily develop attendance Mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. And so just as in our relationships at work, right, we have these opposite sex relationships, we are friend, we are coworkers, which tends to lead to friendship because we care about the same thing, Mm -hmm. which tends to lead to affection. Like I care about what's happening to you. But that has also its tendency to bonding that it has mm-hmm. it encourages romantic feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Which could lead towards eros if you don't intentionally, with emotional energy, cut it off, mm-hmm. right? And so it's just have to be you have to realize this, right? right? Like this is what happens. And so I think we said men and women can't be close friends, but we were talking before about how even the word close yeah. or even the word intimate, it depends on what you mean by that. Yeah. Right. So I've been working with Jill for a number of years now. She's my assistant. We have lots of conversations about stuff that really matters to us that we're trying to accomplish. I know plenty of personal things about her and Tim and their lives. And she's cried in my, when we talked, you know, like <laughs> I would consider that an intimate friendship. Mm-hmm. And yet there are very clear limits to the intimacy yeah. of our friendship, right? Yep. Same thing with the time we spend together. We spend a lot of time together, but there are very clear limitations mm-hmm. to the time we spend together. Mm-hmm. And so some younger people, when we say you can't have close opposite sex friendships, you can't have intimate opposite sex friendships. The answer is know what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. Know the kind yeah. of intimateness that is in- inappropriate the kind of proximity or closeness that's inappropriate 
And this is also somewhat relative to your character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Um, which goes also back to the it being easier to be friends with guys than girls, yeah. right? That is true, for, especially for younger women. It's a huge reason why women need to get their butts in gear mm-hmm. and grow in maturity mm-hmm. because it's their immaturity with one another that makes them yes. not want to be friends with each other. Yes. And as they become more mature, they see that friendship with each other is deeper and better than with men. And they go, oh, I love being friends with women, right? And so a big part of this is like, grow up, grow up. Mm -hmm. One, so that you enjoy same-sex friendships better. And you don't need the application of vanity to your emotions with the little uplift you get from the sexual tension Mm -hmm. between the person of the opposite sex that you like. When you, because you really deeply value the same sex friendship, mm-hmm. right? And then you also become, you create the opportunity for the good friendship if you mm-hmm. mature, because mm-hmm. that immaturity does lead to more opposite sex friendships. But that immaturity also predicts that those opposite sex friendships will get entangled, yeah, mm-hmm. because they're the fruit of immaturity. So they will end up doing the acts of immaturity, mm-hmm. and you don't have that moral strength that you need to draw the line and say you were talking about that before with move if it's moving into arrows you and it shouldn't be you you need moral strength to Mm -hmm. say no (laughs) yeah Yeah. well in the one of the things people just don't want to handle is men and women are made to bond Mm -hmm. and the affections that bond between them have the cat have the categorizations of arrows right they tend to be the bonding tends to be sexualized, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like you can just set your watch by it. Like there's a book called Bonding that I gave Aaron a few years ago about like just how this progresses. And like if you don't consistently interrupt that process, mm-hmm. just men and women are made to fall in love with each other, right? And so the co-ed workplace has made this pretty difficult. This is one of the reasons why, especially in egalitarian places, a lot of workplaces skew towards a single gender naturally. Mm-hmm. Like 80% of counselors hmm. are women or like 90% of construction workers are men. We talk about how like, well, that makes a toxic work environment mm-hmm. for the minority. We only usually talk about the work areas where the minority are women mm-hmm. rather than the ones where the vast majority are women. Right. So the woman going into construction, we talk about that toxic work environment, but we don't talk about the male nurse who enters into the Mm. 90%. Right. And it's, and so, yeah, that's true. And it shouldn't be bad for the woman. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is like a lot of mature people actually want relatively single gendered workplaces. A lot of guys who cut down trees for a living want three guys on their crew, Mm -hmm. not just because guys are 50% stronger, but because it's just easier to screw around with three guys all day and they like it. My wife hated working with five guys at Abbott laboratories. <laughs> like just, they loved the crew joking and the screwing around and the cutting up on each other. And she thought it was idiotic mm. and she couldn't get out of there fast, fast enough. Mm-hmm. But um, most of us think, no, a 50, 50 workplace in every workplace is the ideal. And in terms of Liberty, and equality of opportunity, maybe that's true. Mm. But in terms of functionality among human beings and what they prefer and enjoy, it's just not, it doesn't comport with humanity. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um. So can I shift gears a little bit and ask mm-hmm. a question? Okay. So we're talking about friendship and what it means to actually be a close friend 
with someone and key ingredients for that. But what do you do when you think you're a level two friend with someone, but they think you're a level one friend? So basically someone else thinks that you are very close and they're not one of your close friends. Yeah. So the guy's last name is Joy. I can't think of his first name right now who wrote the book Bonding. He said most healthy people, healthy relationship levels will have three or four people in their closest level of Mm -hmm. friends. They'll have seven to 12 in this like second tier. And then they'll have like 75 to 120 people they know. Right. And so that's first, second, third tier. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there will always be people in your seven to 12 that Mm -hmm. wish they were in your two to four Mm -hmm. and vice versa. There are people that you wish you were in there two to four and you're really in there five Mm -hmm. to 12. And that's painful. Yeah. It's a painful thing. Um, and there is no way to make that not painful. Yeah. I think that's really hard with social media too. Social media is not all bad, but this is one of the difficult elements with friendship is that you see other people's friendships and how fun they look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, they might not be people actually proximate to you or like someone right who's in your life um, that you could be friends with and you do have shared interests with. And so it's sort of like this celebrity like feeling like someone else is like the celebrity friend, like, Oh, I wish I could be their friend because what we see from the outside looks really awesome. Um, yeah. When really they're the, sometimes they're not a very good friend. They just like to post a lot of stuff to social media with acute filters on it. Yeah. Or they might be a really good friend. That's Mm -hmm. another thing. I've wanted to be friends with people who I know from other people are a good friend. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it could go either way. I know. I think, I think that like, if you, if you are the person who someone else wants to be a really good friend with. I think that there are ways that you can, like, I don't think your job is to go be best friends with everybody. Mm. I think that there are ways that you can be generous with people Mm. in how you interact with them. Mm -hmm. So if you are in a context where you're both there, I think you can be really kind to them and be really genuinely interested in what's going on in their lives. And if all you have is five minutes to talk, like let those five minutes be really Mm -hmm. generous to that person um, without, you know, never sleeping because you're trying to keep up 50 really, really, really close friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are ways you can still be generous. And then I think that if you're on the other mm-hmm. side, which probably for most of us is what the reality is, is like, we wish we could be best friends with somebody else. I think a part of it is recognizing that our, uh, our identity and worth and value can't be tied to the relationships we have with other people mm-hmm. and that we just might not get to be like you said, Jill, they might be a really great friend. Maybe that's what it is. Or that's maybe that's why we want to be good yeah. friends with them because they are a great friend, but they're just not our great friend. Mm-hmm. And some of that is, um, is a question of where you're placing your mm-hmm. worth and value and identity and from where you're trying to get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the realizations that you're getting out there is the inherent pleasure of friendship is not based in who you're friends with. Mm, yeah. yeah. As long as yes. there is a valid basis for friendship. Like when mm-hmm. Aristotle said, without friendship, no one would wish to live, even if they had all other goods. Mm-hmm. He meant friendship, not any particular friend. Mm-hmm. And so um, I do feel like that in ministry. One of the things, one of the, I think it's one of the worst things about Christian ministry in a, lo- in a local church is that there's a lot of people that want to be my friend that I can't be friends with. And I feel like the kid outside the, um, <laughs> 
the uh, what's the stuff you get at fairs? The like candy stuff they swirl around the oh, cotton, cotton candy, candy shop. Yeah, like with my face up on the window looking in. Yeah, because as I look at the church too, I see all these people who don't have my responsibilities of impartiality. Right, because it says to Timothy in the Bible, show no partiality in the mm. ministry, none. And so that limits what I can do friendship-wise mm-hmm. when I'm functioning as a pastor, which is most of my life. And so I I walk through the lobby and I watch people, highly functional, super fun, funny, loving, awesome people, laughing and enjoying their friends while I go around and shepherd people. Mm-hmm. And so I feel both that like, People want to be my friends and I have to disappoint them. And I'm disappointed that I, it's not even that I don't get to be that particular person's friend. I don't even get to have friendships like that, especially on Sunday mornings. Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's painful, mm-hmm. you know, and I chalked it up to some of the pain of the calling. Like it just, mm-hmm. it is just part of my mm-hmm. labor. And, um, and I do have friendships. Like I don't feel like my life is empty of friendships at all. You but see it, a lot more friendships probably than most people too. You see a lot of other people's yeah, friendships. Yeah, I see a lot of yeah. people's friendships, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I know how great those people yeah. are. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of these great people become friends with each other. And <laughs> because people want to be kind of equally yoked in mm-hmm. their friendships, they're okay with being unequally yoked in their affections. Mm, like sure. yeah, a kid is not sense. the equal of her mother. Mm-hmm. right affection is by definition it doesn't need to be equally yoked at all charity or the fourth mm-hmm. love doesn't need to be equally yoked at all um and in some ways even eros doesn't have to be as long as like it's there mm-hmm. but like friendship you kind of want to want someone you feel is your equal or in some mm-hmm. ways your superior mm-hmm. and that's that makes for certain kinds of friendships that mm-hmm. I naturally want to deeply envy. Mm-hmm. It's also yeah. partly because um, the, some, a lot of people I've made friends with are highly competent people. Um, I th- Okay, so I think that's because I'm a highly competent person and I really like being friends with highly competent people. The problem with that is, is those people move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. most of the men that I've grown close with who aren't in the ministry and aren't on the staff team, Mm-hmm. have moved mm-hmm. most of them are outdoor friendships people i hunted and fished with mm-hmm. which was my which is my favorite kind of friendship because i have very few theological friendships where people can really talk theology with me mm-hmm. but anybody who's fun and is good at hunting and fishing i love to spend time with and it's not mm-hmm. that hard to be better than me at those two things mm-hmm. so I really love those, really enjoy yeah. those friendships. And I, I learn in those friendships and I'm a learner. So I find that really enjoyable. But both of my close hunting, friendship friendships, friendships here in Madison have both moved away. Mm-hmm. And it was terrible. Mm-hmm. terrible. I think that it's helpful to hear you say like, yeah, that's just hard. Yeah. Like when you, when you want to be close to friends with someone or, or your situation is unique. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I literally had one friend that moved away. And he sent me a picture of a closed church in his neighborhood. And he was like, Here, can, I, can I buy this for you? Yeah. yeah. Like he wanted me to start a church in his yeah. neighborhood just so we could live yes. in the same town. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think that's what God wants me to do. So it's very tempting. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, yeah, it's it. 
we were talking, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Nick, you preached a sermon, um, or maybe it was two Sundays ago about how our, our salvation comes nothing from ourselves. Mm. We cannot boast. And it's just, it's been making me think a lot about like being okay in places where I normally would want to try and make myself feel better Mm -hmm. or, um, just self-justification really when the reality is there is grace for me. Mm -hmm. And so even if, and some of this, like we're talking about it in a really sophisticated way, but this is really a conversation about popularity. Right. And yeah, Yeah, that's a big component of it. Yeah. And so I think that like, it's for me, it's like, I, maybe I'm not as good of a friend as that other person Mm -hmm. and I need to be okay with that. And that maybe I'm not as popular as that other person and I need to be okay with that. And instead of trying to make myself feel better about like, well, I've got these other close friendships or what? Like sometimes it's just, it's sad and hard and yeah. I need to turn to God's grace for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I think people could misconstrue what you mean by this is a conversation about popularity. I, I, do you mean like this last nine minutes? Yes. Yes. Not the whole, not the not the whole thing. No, 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 no. Thing. I mean the, the last minutes we were talking about levels of friendship. Like yeah, seeing from the outside and feeling like I wish I could be in there with them. Those people, those specific people. Yeah. Do you think that's, I think one of the reasons you could think that would be popularity, that like that friendship has a higher status than I'm enjoying. And I would love to be in that friendship so that I could have that increased status. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's that's not the only time I think. Right. right. Yeah. No, that's not. Um, I think sometimes Sometimes I'm like, those people are so awesome. I just want them to be my friends. Yeah. Sometimes it's women like your friend, like Hillary, (laughs) you and Hillary. And like, I'm just like, Sometimes I wish I could be a woman so <laughs> I could be Hillary friends Flash. with you guys. You know? Yeah. Like I'm jealous of Alexi that she could be really close with you guys mm. because she's a woman and she's close enough in age that and you like her. Mm-hmm. But I just, it's like, that's just walled off to me. And like, mm. I'm never going to be Hillary's best friend. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just, that's just, it's, it's what it is. Mm. So whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so that's whatever. not a... That's but that's true. not because I want to be. Thing. I don't want to be higher status. Yeah, I just want to be closer to awesome people. Yeah, and enjoy yeah. them. So I think maybe what I what then we're discovering is there can be multiple reasons for this wishing you were on the different level of friendship. Yes. Yeah, and you got to sort out what is this reason because if it's one, it's a question of okay, am I trying to find value, identity, worth? Is there pride at stake? Mm-hmm. And if it's the other, right. it can be just sad, and you All can lament that. Yeah, all yeah. of the sins can pervert this, but mm-hmm. some of it is just, I wish I could mm-hmm. have that. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be sad about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, Lewis said, like, friendship is like an exclusive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't be like, well, you should have been friends with me. No, it's mm-hmm. like getting married. Like, you get mm-hmm. to pick. Mm-hmm. Right. So if somebody isn't friends with you, you can't fault them. It, they're not responsible mm-hmm. to be your friend. Mm-hmm. They're responsible to, to treat you with love if they're your brother and sister mm-hmm. in Christ, you may be entitled to affection and charitas, charity, mm-hmm. but you're never entitled to eros or friendship. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes those loves so special in a way to us because we get to choose who to set our affections on. Mm-hmm. And in the other two, God chooses who we must set our affections mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. You know, Yeah, that's really good. Um, there's so much more we could keep talking about and, um, there's, I think we'll do another episode on barriers to friendships and how to start this, some 
key ways to start making friends if you don't feel like you have these kind of friendships or um, how to enrich your current friendships. And then we're going to have episodes with people who are actually friends in different life stages. (laughs) And we'll give them a set of questions to talk through that relate to these things, like what are conflicts you've gone through and things like that. But yeah. yeah. Jill, hopefully Mm -hmm. there's going to be show notes for this episode, but let's quick give titles and authors of the books that we've mentioned quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the four loves by C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Spiritual Friendship Friendships. Friendships by Wesley Hill. Yep. I have another recommendation, if I can yeah. give it. Yeah, I'm going to um, give a couple. Go ahead. Yeah. So right now I'm reading The Storm-Tossed Family by Russell Moore, which doesn't sound like it's about friendship. It is very good and has a lot to do with what we've talked about in Escaping Babel so far with sexuality and um and forming families, but it he has a chapter on the church as family, and um, he talks about it as a place for uh, he d- it does have a lot to do with friendship basically, and I found it super helpful. So, yeah, a couple other recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, How should we develop biblical friendship by Joe Beakey and Michael Haken is a relatively short, classically oriented book on friendship. Um, Made for friendship is written by a pastor in Indiana named Drew Hunter. He's a Wheaton grad, and he writes kind of pastorally on how we're made for friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, Vaughn Roberts, and he's an African-American pastor, um, and he wrote a book called True Friendship, where he has chapters on the five categories of friendship, closeness, constancy, candidness, careful, being careful, and being mm-hmm. Christ-centered, which is, I think it's a 95-page book, so it's a real short down-to-earth pastoral mm-hmm. very direct book on friendship so those are some some of the books out there on friendship mm-hmm. there's also um a really good documentary about friendship it's like these six uh people in their 20s living in manhattan in like the 90s it's just called friends <laughs> <laughs> that's awful <laughs> that is that is a joke everyone <laughs> but yeah. a very funny joke <laughs> yeah I just had an argument at basketball with somebody about that show. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, we will keep talking about this with you guys and we're excited that you're listening and have a good day and we'll see you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the engage and equip podcast. If you've got questions about what you heard today, send them to us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. If you love the Escaping Babel series, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts, or even better, share this with a friend so we can continue to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.